Right on. Well, thank you, team, for sharing with us and uh, for going really on our behalf. And uh, we were with you uh, every step of the way and praying for you and believing in uh, that time and uh, just really grateful for your willingness to, to be a part of that and then to share about it here this morning as well. And I hope there were some kids here this morning who heard uh, those students, those teenagers sharing about that trip that may be thinking right now to themselves, man, I am going to go on a mission trip when I get to be a little bit older. And uh, I hope that you can even be thinking about going on a mission trip before you even get too much older, kids. Um, our hope is that this uh, connection with this church in Ensenada that we have initiated even this week can become an ongoing relationship and one in which we're able to share in life with them and in the kingdom for weeks and months and, and years to come. And so, again, we're hoping that it won't be another 10 years or so since, we make, since we've done it this time until we make another trip to Ensenada. And uh, we'll hope we'd love to take men's groups or family groups or ladies or whatever it might look like, youth, to go down and be part of ministry with this church in Ensenada. So if that's interesting to you and you'd like to be a part of that, let Danny know, let Josefina know, let Aaron know, let me know, however you'd like to communicate that because we'd love to uh, continue to share and grow in mission together as we participate in mission through the church. Kids, I'm going to let you be dismissed for Children's Church. Have a, have a great time. Have a wonderful time. What a great group. What an amazing group of young people that we have in our church. We are blessed people. I love listening to these stories. And uh, as Aaron said, I really encourage you to, you know, get up next to one of these students in um, days to come and just ask a couple of questions about this trip and see what begins to pour out of them. And uh, you don't have to say much. You don't have to, you know, um, dictate the conversation necessarily. Just be a good listener. And it's great to, great to be able to hear these stories. Um, this, is a, this is an experience that will shape them for the rest of their lives in one fashion or another. The, the night before these guys left on their trip, I, I just was talking with my daughter, Katie, about it, and as she and Thomas were getting ready to go, I was reminded of the fact that I went on a mission trip when I was in ninth grade, the same year that, that Katie is. It was the summer after my ninth grade year, and I went with a bunch of teenagers from our church and from our district. My sister was actually on that trip as well. We went to Costa Rica, and, uh, and it was an amazing trip. We got to meet all kinds of interesting folks and, and eat different foods. I'd never known you could fix bananas in so many different fashions, and, and rice and beans became such an important part of, of my uh, food uh, diets that week. But we also got to experience the church at such an amazing level as we, as we were able to partner, just as, as our team did this week, with Christians there in Costa Rica in, and, and people in churches in doing the work of God in, in their place. And, and that was a, that was a I'll really never know. I, I think my sister and I both can look back to that time. And, and you never really know how much 
an event can shape you or impact you, um, but, but you, looking back, you begin to see, wow, that was one of a number of events or, or situations that have, have shaped my life and, and undoubtedly has shaped the way I think about, about cross-cultural ministry and about just people in general and about God's heart for not just the United States, but God's heart for, for the world. And those kinds of things begin to be shaped in our, our thinking at, at early ages often and how important that is for us. It's a really great reminder as we think about these students and these that have gone on this trip and my own experience about the, the or it's a great mode of getting us to think about the things that have shaped our own lives. And uh, you, can, you can think, and we talked about this in recent weeks even, about just events or activities or conversations that we've had with people, mentors or friends who have spoken to us or directed us. Maybe you can think of a particular conversation you had with a, a career mentor perhaps at one point in your life and they gave you a piece of advice that sent you in a certain direction or a spiritual mentor who helped catch you at a certain point in your life and move you in, in a new direction. And we can think about these events. Maybe you were in a worship service or maybe you were listening to a radio program, a, a Christian radio program. Somebody texted me this week saying that they had heard a great Christian radio program that day. And maybe you can think about these events or these conversations or these messages that you have heard that have helped steer you in a new direction, that have pointed you in a new, in a new path, that have really started something brand new in your life, and you can look back to that day. Well, well for the disciples uh, in the early church, the event the moment, the uh, situation that impacted them more than anything else was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I suggested a little bit last week, the, 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 the new attitudes and, uh, and actions that begin to, to come out of the disciples after the resurrection are, are perhaps some of the greatest evidence and proof of the fact of the resurrection. Something happened. And it wasn't just, as we said last week, a resuscitation or a spiritual reawakening. There was, there was new life, and the disciples had been immersed in the resurrected presence of Jesus Christ. And it was a moment that impacted them for that time of their lives, and it would impact the church for generations. So in these weeks after Easter, we want to be talking about this kind of impact because my hope is that, that, that Easter isn't just, wasn't just impactful on the early disciples and it isn't just impactful on the church today for, for one day. I mean, we, we uh, can we say celebrate Lent? We, we uh, recognize Lent for 40 days. We, we fast and we... We repent and we think about our sinfulness and we think about our brokenness. And the Christian church, we do this and then like Easter gets one day, maybe, you know, like a few hours of a Sunday morning. And it's like, wow, we, we, we repented for 40 days and we're going to celebrate resurrection for one. This isn't the way it's supposed to be, my friends. We're to celebrate. We're to, we're to enjoy. We're to rejoice for a, for a lengthy period of time. 
Easter is to, is to color all of who we are and all that we do. It is to be a, a moment that impacts us deeply. It impacts our faith. And then, in turn, it becomes that which prompts us to impact the world around us. And so we're thinking about this, this impact of Easter in a couple of ways. What, what difference does it make to us in our own hearts, and in our own lives? And then what does it mean for how we impact the world around us? I want to read us a text from uh, the, gospel, or from the, the book of Acts. And we're going to be reading texts from the book of Acts over the next several weeks in this season of Easter. And really, the, the hope is that we'll begin to see some snapshots of, of, of impact, uh, of the impact of Easter on the early church and on early believers, and get a glimpse as well as to what and how Easter might impact us. So I want to read to us from Acts chapter 5. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me? Acts chapter 5 and it's a long story that I'm just going to read a few verses for, and then we'll fill in some of the context, beginning at verse 27 and reading just to verse 32. And don't worry if you're a little bit lost as we jump into this. I'll try to fill in, again, some of that context. But beginning at verse 27 to 32, and I'll say at the end, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name, he demanded? They couldn't even say Jesus' name, in this man's name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. There's a, uh, there's a saying in sports, and uh, if any of you, as uh, you know, I'm a sports fan. Some of you have been following this. We're at uh, March Madness has come to an end tomorrow night is the national championship game for college basketball. And also, it's another great time of the year. I think today, actually, is opening day for Major League Baseball. So that's always a, uh, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year um, for baseball fans anyway. And, uh, and so there's a saying in sports. I know some of you who are not sports fans at all just consider my sermons a point of not only teaching about the Christian faith, but teaching about the, the world of sports. And uh, there's this saying that, uh, that, that people say in sports, when something dramatically uh, alters the, the direction of, of a game or, or a competition, when a new player checks in, 
to the to the game and, and brings with him or her a a a boost or a burst of energy and and skill, or when a a a group of players just kind of look at each other and get really determined and and have a new just kind of effort that, that arises out of their, their hearts. Or maybe when a coach comes up with a new strategy to, to counter some of the things that the opponent has been doing successfully. Uh, when, when this happens, oftentimes someone, an announcer or someone that you're with, maybe watching the game, or maybe you might say this yourself if you're a, a KG sports uh, fan, will say these words. Simply they'll say, it's a whole new ball game. Anybody ever heard that said? It's a whole new ball game. And, and many of us have heard that said not in relation to sports, but in relation to life. Because that's a sports saying that has become a saying in, in all of life. When something new happens, when a, a, a relationship ends and a new one begins, or a new job starts, or family, kids grow up, or leave the house, or whatever it might be, and there's there's just a sense, and sometimes we even might say those words, well, it's a, it's a whole new ball game. What was happening to this point in the, the game or in the competition has, has sort of come to an end, or at least it's transitioning, and, and there is something new that's happening in this, in this game, something new that's happening in life. Well, it's without a doubt true that that saying could be applied to what the disciples were experiencing in these days following the resurrection. It was a whole new ball game. What they had known before was, was different now. And, and not only in what they were thinking, but in the way they were acting, they were demonstrating that, this was, that things were different. Things were radically altered, drastically changed. The, the, the current status of things had been radically impacted, and they were moving in new directions. Jesus was alive. And we see, particularly here in the book of Acts, how this reality, and for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the book of Acts, it's just that, that, that book that follows the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that begins to explain and describe what happened in the early church after Jesus was resurrected and after he ascended into heaven. Now, now what happened in, in, in that early church, these first followers of Jesus, what did it look like for them to live out this faith and this resurrection faith in particular? What had happened to, to cause these disciples, as we often saw them in the Gospels, to shift from being sort of this ragtag group of, of confused, often apparently very uncertain, um, even fearful perhaps? What had happened to, to, to help transition them from that kind of group of people to this new group of folks who were confident preachers and missionaries and who were leading the charge of this new movement, looking to impact the world in the same way they had been impacted. They were empowered by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, without a doubt. And they were living in this reality. This new reality that the God who had raised Jesus from the dead was with them. And he was empowering them and leading them in new directions. This Easter faith had gripped them. It was a whole new ballgame. And they would never be 
the same um, again. It's a whole new ballgame still today for us who put our faith in Jesus. And as we said, this Easter season, it's this perfect time to reflect on the impact of the resurrection on our lives and on the world and to think about the difference it might make in our own attitudes and our own actions. What is the, the transition? What's the transfer that we need to make into a, 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 a true Easter faith, a faith that matters both to us and then through us to the world? Well, for these first disciples Their faith in the resurrection, in what God had done in raising Jesus from the dead, had stirred in them a fearless determination. I I just love this this description of these these disciples. Now, I want to give you a little bit of the context. Um, When we run into Peter and the the other apostles here in chapter 5 of of the book of Acts, uh, they've been in trouble with the law since chapter 4. And uh, it sounds like a line from an old Dukes of Hazzard uh, theme song. <laughs> um, but uh, some of you have no idea what that is, and that's okay. Um, they've been in trouble with the law since the day they were born. They had been, but these guys had not been. But at least since chapter 4, they've been having run-ins with the, with the religious authorities. And, and, and they... they the, the religious authorities were, were, at first, they were stirring up trouble. They were preaching about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. They were preaching about this resurrection. And so, and so the, the leaders brought them in, and, and they questioned them. They arrested them. They put them on this little trial of sorts. And, and, and yet Peter and the apostles said, you know, this is just kind of what it's going to be like, and so get used to it. And, and all the people were starting to really listen to them, and, and the religious leaders were getting a little bit concerned about what might happen. In fact, it says there in chapter 4 that they were afraid there might be a riot, so they, so they released them. And they said, don't ever preach about Jesus anymore. Yeah, right. And so just a little bit later, we find them doing what? preaching about Jesus and teaching about the resurrection. And so they get arrested again, and they get sent to jail. But this time, an angel comes in the middle of the night and releases them from jail. They get out. And it's a really humorous, it's almost like the Keystone Cops kind of thing, if you remember that. That's even farther back for many of us. But um, it's, it's, it's a really humorous story, actually, there, because the next day after they had put the apostles in jail, the religious leaders convene, and they're, they're getting together to kind of have this big trial, and they say, go get the apostles and bring them to us. And the, the, the guards go to get them, and they find that the apostles aren't there. And, and they go to the temple, and that's where they find them, again, preaching and teaching. And so they arrest them a... A third time. Say it with me. Repeat offenders. That's what we have going on here in these apostles. They just, they just can't get it through their heads that this is not what they're supposed to do. Or maybe they can get it through their heads. They've actually gotten it very clearly through their heads that this is exactly what they are supposed to do. And, and, and this, this lack of ability to to kind of come alongside with what the, the religious leaders would want them to be is just shown in this, this, this fearless determination, this fearless determination of these disciples. Nothing would stop them from living for Jesus. I love what the religious leaders said about them. 
in the passage that we read. They, they said these words, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. You have filled all Jerusalem. We told you to be quiet, and you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about Jesus. They were determined. No matter what came their way, no matter what impediment, no matter how many times to be arrested, no matter how many discouraging moments, being in jail again that night, and then an angel comes, and we just go right back to preaching. No matter how many so-called closed doors. How many of us would have just said, well, you know, I think that's a closed door. I think, and that's like popular Christian vocabulary. We use that a lot around the church. I use that a lot. It's a a closed door. Maybe we shouldn't bang that one down. Well, it it had been closed three times. They had been thrown in jail, and they just kept preaching. No matter how many closed doors came their way, these disciples kept pressing through. Fearless determination. Far from obediently following the authorities' direction to stop teaching, they filled Jerusalem with their teaching. We went uh, a while back with a few friends to watch the movie Eddie the Eagle, I believe it was called. Eddie the Eagle. Anybody familiar with this movie at all? It maybe came and went, but it was awesome. Oh, Trish liked it. Yes. <laughs> it was on Trish's birthday, actually. We went and saw this with the guilings. And, and what a... What a an amazing story, if you're unfamiliar with this story, it was about a, a young guy from England who just wanted to be a, an Olympian. He just wanted to be in the Olympics. And, and he had some disabilities, but then he kind of got through that. And, but he just was never necessarily Olympic caliber. He was never quite Olympic material, but he just kept trying, and he'd try one sport, and he wouldn't make it in that. So he'd try another one, and he wouldn't make it in that. And all the while, his parents are discouraging him and telling him to get a job, move on with life. But he just has this goal, this determination to make the Olympics. And then he discovers in the Winter Olympics that the, that the English national team does not have a ski jumping team. This is a true story, by the way. And so he decides, well, we don't have a team. I will be one. And so he starts to train for ski jumping. He's never done this before in his life, but he starts to train for ski jumping. And he he miraculously, because they really don't know what they're doing in England with ski jumping at the time, he qualifies and gets to go to the Olympics. It's an amazing story. And we love these stories. I mean, we we could quote movie after movie that speaks of, this sort of determination. We love uh, determination when it comes to these kinds of things, the Olympics. We love these stories of grit and effort. It strikes me that we love these stories of determination and grit and effort, except when it comes to matters of of faith. And and a lot of times, um, we we just are so uh, leaning into what God has done for us in his grace that we forget about the, the determination on our part. We, we forget about the effort and about even the grit on our part to live into that faith that God has made available for us through Jesus. The disciples show us that Easter stirs in us a never-say-die attitude, a, 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 a reality, a realization that we are to give everything that we have. Nothing will stop us from living for Jesus. We are to fill Santa Barbara. We are to fill the world with the news about Jesus. Never to be stifled 
by those around us, a fearless determination. The Easter faith had also, though, awakened in these disciples uh, an unrivaled dedication. And I love the, the phrase that they use here. It's the one that maybe sticks out to us when we read this passage the first time. Um, it, it, again, it would have been so easy just to bend a little, just to get on with, with life. But when they had the Easter experiences, they simply could not do that. And so Peter's and the apostles, Peter's the spokesman for the apostles, his, his famous words there to to the religious leaders that, that come through, we must obey God rather than any human authority. When it comes right down to it, Peter just says, you know, there's, there's lots of other voices that may be speaking to us about what we should do and what we shouldn't do and what kind of lives we should lead and, and, and what kind of rules we should adhere to. But I'm going to tell you, and he's already said it to him in chapter 4, really, and it's like, I'm going to say it to you again. I don't know how I can be any plainer, how I can make this any more simple, but we must obey God rather than any human authority. So, so you can keep talking to us about how we're supposed to do this, but I'll just say it to you again. We must obey God, an unrivaled dedication. There will be no rival to the one who we are following. There will be no rival voice that speaks into this reality. A command of God will always take precedence over the commands of men. And it is the price of being a Christian, and it is what we're prepared to pay And whatever cost that might exact from us, that is what we'll pay because this is who we're going to be. This is what we're going to do. God raised Jesus from the dead. How could we listen to anyone else? I, with my kids being gone this week, I got to just, you know, watch a little news on TV and uh, they don't really like to watch CNN. I really don't like to watch it very much either, but I did this week because I was just intrigued by some of the things that I was hearing in the... um, in the presidential race in particular. And uh, I don't know if anybody's been waiting for me to weigh in on this stuff or if you're just fine with me just not talking about it at all. Um, I can't really decide either. But as I read this passage this week, I thought, man, how can we not lay that up against a little bit at least what we're experiencing in our own culture and in our own world right now? I mean, Jesus was very political and his followers are obviously very political. In, in, in this way, that we must obey God rather than men. And I just, and I've been thinking and just listening to all the different candidates and all the different, man, what really struck me this week is how much all the, the reporters have to say about this and the, the media coverage and how it just blows up everything and, and magnifies everything and, and makes such a, a great big deal out of all these things that, that are very important. I don't want to downplay that. But just the, the, the import or the significance that all this sort of feels on our country in these days. And I just, boy, I, I got to thinking again as I listen to this and I listen to that and maybe like some of you or I'm sort of... Um, not, uh, not encouraged, perhaps, by the potential leadership choices that are facing our nation. Um, I, I just began to think that, that 
I'm so glad that I can live in this camp with Peter and the apostles. That, that, I, that I need to be respectful and I need to pray for our leaders as we're commanded or directed to do. We need to be supportive in whatever ways we possibly can. We need to be good citizens in the world in which we live. And yet there's an authority that, that is unrivaled in the life of a believer. There's an authority that, that doesn't come from, from the vote of the people or from some political experience or, or one's economic understanding and, and, and prowess. It, 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 it's a, an authority that comes by raising Jesus from the dead. <laughs> and, and the one who has raised Jesus from the dead is the one that at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day and in the middle of the day and at every moment in the day is the one that I give my allegiance to. It's the one that I'm fully devoted to. And there might come times, and there probably will come times, if there hasn't already, where, where those two will butt up against each other. And we'll have to choose. And sometimes that will look like these guys. We'll just have to utterly sort of defy. And that happens around the world today, where, where believers are living defiantly against the, the government that's in place. There might be times where we just have to sort of resist the, 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 the authority of the world around us. There might be other times where we, where we just have to just live towards Jesus. Not, not, not defying or resisting, but just being more of, of a follower of, of Jesus. Unrivaled dedication. I, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And it also got me thinking, not only about the authorities that I'm aware of in this world, the political authorities, the government, the, these kinds of things, but man, this really got me thinking about the authorities in this world that I'm not always dialed into, that I'm not always aware of. The things that we as human people and the culture in which we live sort of bow down to, sometimes unknowingly, or just because that's kind of how we do it in this world or in this culture, the, the authorities of, of economics and materialism and wealth and comfort and uh, notoriety, fame, these sorts of, of authorities that we hold over ourselves or allow to be over ourselves that we, we give obedience to. Do you know what I'm talking about? These ways that, that we don't even know it, but we're, we're sort of giving ourselves over to the, like the American dream is our authority. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to pursue the American dream. I'm going to have that, that house and those cars and that, you know, that dog and those kids and that retirement account. And I'm going to have all these things. And, and before long, I realized that I, that's my authority. I'm giving myself to that as opposed to giving myself fully to God. These, these disciples testified and demonstrated for us that there can be no rival. That all those things can find their place, but only after we have said we will obey God. We must obey God rather than any human, or I would extend it to even non-human authority in the world. An unrivaled dedication. Here's the last thing. This Easter faith sparked in these disciples a, a bold proclamation. A bold proclamation. 
I, I love this about the disciples. I hope you notice it. They get brought in to, to, they get arrested for the third time, brought before these religious authorities, and they, what do they do? They use that moment to preach the gospel to these very religious leaders who they have, the, the disciples have, uh, according to the religious leaders in particular, have, have accused of killing Jesus, that they have not done that on their own by any means. And we know that reality. The, the, the Romans were complicit in that, and, and God's purposes were complicit in that as well. But, but these very ones that, that feel accused by the disciples of killing their Jesus, they, they take the moment to, to preach the gospel to them. To, to these very ones that seem farthest away from what God might be wanting to do in, their, in the world and in their hearts, they take the moment to, to preach to them. Jesus, who was dead, they say, is now alive. He's been raised by the God of our ancestors, they say. By the way, he's your God as well who raised this Jesus from the dead. The God of our ancestors has raised him from the dead. And now they say he has exalted Jesus as prince and savior or as leader and savior, as other translations say, and as an act of mercy toward Israel, toward you and me, and really toward all of us, the disciples were saying, this Jesus now stands ready to offer repentance and forgiveness of sins. Taking the moment when they, the, the religious leaders wanted to squash him down, to rise up with a bold proclamation, not only about who God was, but about what he had done in Jesus and what he was making available to those very people. Repentance, forgiveness, this Jesus wants to be the leader and the savior of all. And that offer is on the table to each one. They say these wonderful words, we are witnesses. We are witnesses of these things. And then they go on to say, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given to those who obey, who has been given to them, and who will be given to any who obey. Well, I, it's a good time to ask ourselves in the world in which we live, and I don't know the world you live in. I don't know what your setup is like from day to day, necessarily. I don't know what sort of attention or hostility or negativity or even just full-on assault you might face in your workplace or in your world, even in your family, because of your faith. What I know is that these disciples demonstrate to us an Easter faith that had so impacted them that they could not stop but share. They could not help but share. They could not stop sharing the good news of what it was that God had done, both for the world and in their lives. And they set for us an example of what that proclamation might look like for us as well in the world in which we live. Has Easter, I guess the question that I'm asking myself, has Easter, uh, what's it done to my boldness? Has it emboldened me in a a new way? Not to be in your face, like 
over-the-top, attacking, kind of contrarian, but has it made me bold to, to speak words of grace? This, this God offers repentance. This God brings forgiveness. Has it made me bold to speak words of love? Has it made me bold to speak words even to those who are the most hurtful? Hear this? Knowing that they are potentially the most hurting, which we often find to be the case. Easter had impacted these disciples. Easter needs to impact us today. A fearless determination, a unrivaled dedication, a bold proclamation. Let the message of Easter, the empty tomb, the power of God impact us so that then we might be an impact on the world. Let's pray together. Thank you, oh God, for what it is that you have done. Thank you, oh God, for the ways that you have been at work. Thank you for the power of the resurrection. Thank you, oh God, for raising Jesus from the dead. And in this Easter season, we want to just stop and pause and reflect long enough and not just sort of rush on from that, that revolutionary truth. We want to pause and stop long enough that, that we allow the reality and the message, the, the, the beauty of that gospel truth to, to soak in and to sink in and to impact us in the ways that it needs to. We don't want to be folks who just sort of say he is risen indeed and then go back to the status quo, go back to how things have always been. No, it's a whole new ball game, and we want to live into that. And so with these disciples who have modeled this resurrection faith so beautifully in the midst of a very tense situation, we too say we will give ourselves of ourselves in these ways. And we, we too will, will stand determined in the midst of great difficulty. God, God we, we too will remain obedient only to the voice of God. God, we too will look for the ways and the moments and the conversations where we might be bold in how we speak and how we share about who you are. Impact us today, O oh God, with this Easter faith that we might be an impact in the world. And today as we come to the table of the Lord, as we celebrate what it is that, God, you have done for us in Jesus, as we remember his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out, the forgiveness the repentance that's made possible and available, we, we, we grab onto that and we allow ourselves to be gripped by it. And as we prepare ourselves even now to eat and to drink, may we allow your spirit who is with us just to search our hearts and to impress upon us the love of God and to, to fill us with the very power of God and to equip us with the very presence of God. God, search our hearts by the power of your Spirit. And if there would be anything 
that, that, that you would want to root out even right now. God, if there would be any disobedience or just somewhere where we're uh, listening to other voices instead of yours, just, just call us on it right now. Just convict us, God. If we have sort of begin to, to, to back down and to, to not stand firm in certain places and to, to give voice to our faith in, in context where we know that we need to, then, then even now just, just encourage us with that. Call us on that, O Holy Spirit, and enable us to be the people that you would have us to be. And as we come to the table, God, this open table, may we come with hearts ready to receive of your love, of your forgiveness, and of your life. We give you thanks for that, O oh God. And we remember that it was on that night, Jesus, that you were betrayed, that you took the bread and you broke it and you passed it to your disciples and you said, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat of it. And as you do, remember me. And in the same way you took the cup and you blessed it and you passed it to your disciples and you said, this is the cup of salvation, the symbol of my blood shed for you. Take of it and drink. And each time you do, remember me. Jesus, as we come to eat and drink, may we remember you. May we celebrate you. May we share in you. And may we be equipped by you for mission in the world. We give you thanks and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have uh, our worship team and my servers just come, and, uh, and I'll serve you first. And then we'll invite you to come forward down the center aisle and two rows and to be served here in the front. You can take a piece of bread and dip it into the cup. And as you do, remember Jesus' body broken for you and his bloodshed for you. We celebrate an open table. That means if you're a follower of Jesus or one who is seeking to follow Jesus, even here this morning, you're invited to come and participate fully in this meal that we share together today. God bless you as you do.